And welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday, the 13th of, Jan- of February, 2020, here at Colin Chance House, Worcester. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition. And with me this evening to read the articles are Paddy Fellows, Julian Jules Watkins, Moira Lowe and Janet Goodwin. Our sound engineer is Duncan Wynne and our admin team is Carol Hartle, Joe Gwynne and Jean Burbeck. A warm welcome to all listeners, especially new ones. I hope everyone enjoys our offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, readers' letters, birthdays, on this day and thought for the week. Obituaries are still included, but following listeners' requests nowadays are placed in a different spot, following the closing music. So, if you wish to hear those, please stay tuned at that point. Don't forget that recordings are also available on podcast, but at present, talking books are not available on memory sticks, but only on CDs and tape. Now, some useful telephone numbers. NHS Non-Emergency... One one one, Worcester Live, Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall, Henry Sandon Hall, Worcester, that's zero one nine zero five, six double one four two seven. Malvern Theatre, zero one six eight four, eight nine two two seven seven. Worcester Hub for Council Matters, seven six five seven six five, or seven treble two double three. Crime Stoppers, zero eight double zero, treble five treble one. Samaritans, one one six one two three, a free phone. And just to add to that, I've been asked to bring to your attention a performance at the Swan Theatre in the Vesta Tilly Studio in Worcester, which is planned for the fifth of June this year, seven forty-five, and it lasts for two hours, including a twenty-minute interval. It's called Two's Company. Two local professionally trained actors are giving their services free to present this. The story is of two children meeting at primary school, and as they grow, letters between them over the years. This was originally a radio production, 
and it's therefore particularly suitable for people with sight loss. It's to raise funds for the Worcester Talking newspaper from the ticket sales, less necessary expenses. And I'm told that it's hoped to fill the 55 seats in the Vestatilly studio. In other words, it's capacity, so they need to sell 55 tickets. The tickets are £10 each, and they are, I'm told, available from the box office at Huntingdon Hall. You can visit personally or order by phone using the number I gave a few moments ago for Worcester Live. Well, now I'll ask the team to introduce themselves as they read the week's headline articles. So I'll start with Friday, February the 7th. 2020. And the headline is New Council Staff to Stop City Nuisances. More council staff will be hired to hand out fines to people cycling through the city centre, feeding gulls and aggressively begging. Worcester City Council has earmarked £60,000 to potentially hire two new enforcement officers to hand out the punishments set by the soon-to-be-introduced Public Space Protection Order, PSPO. Councillor Alan Amos, who has led the call for the extra money, said the council has not been taking the problem seriously and has not been enforcing the rules. Councillor Amos said, Selfish, lazy and idiotic cyclists riding down the high street, vicious, greedy gulls and unnecessary aggressive begging were the three biggest problems in Worcester, according to the public. One of the problems with the council is that there is a distinct lack of enforcement, he said. If we are going to have the public space protection order and if we are going to extend our powers, then we need to be able to enforce it. We need to take it seriously. There are three important issues that people have said are the biggest problem. They are major concerns. Councillor Amos said the council needed to get a grip and start handing out penalties before an already serious problem got even worse. The councillor said it would only be a matter of time before somebody walking through Worcester was killed or seriously injured by a cyclist riding their bike when they were not supposed to be. The gulls will be coming back around March and April time and it will be much, much worse than last year because the efforts to control those vicious, greedy creatures has been a complete failure, let's be honest, he said. They're a real menace. And yet people still feed them. And if people continue to feed them, that is going to make a very serious problem even worse. We need to enforce it. Somebody could be killed. It has already happened in Hereford. It could only be a matter of time before it happens in Worcester. Somebody could be seriously hurt or even killed by a selfish cyclist riding up and down the high street. 
Plans to introduce a PSPO for the city centre were first put forward in January last year. Councillors agreed to a public consultation before postponing a decision in November due to the wording of the order. There's been no enforcement, and if there continues to be no enforcement, the problem is just going to get worse. We have to be logical about it, and we have to be honest. This is what people have said are their biggest concerns, and we need to listen. We have to act on their concerns. If we don't do something, the city will degenerate into something unattractive. We want people to be able to walk and shop and eat in restaurants on the high street, and they should not have to be fearful that people will be demanding money from them. People who live and work and visit the city should be able to walk down our beautiful high street without having to fear being knocked over by these idiot cyclists. People should not have to fear being attacked by vicious and aggressive gulls. People should not have to fear walking down the high street and have to be harassed and molested by aggressive beggars. A report with a draft PSPO will go before councillors in March, with a plan to hold a four-week consultation. The order could be in place by June or July, depending on whether councillors agree to delegate the final decision. A total of ten enforcement officers and two supervisors are currently employed by the council. It said. Well, this is Jules, and I've got a story from Saturday, February the eighth, entitled "27 Taxis Targeted by Thieves in Six Days." <clears throat> Twenty-seven taxi drivers in Worcester say their vehicles have been targeted by thieves or vandals in the past six days. The victims, who are members of the Worcester Taxi Drivers Association, say the spate of offences began on Saturday, February the 1st, and continued last week. Gafour Hussein of Humber Road told the Worcester News that his taxi was broken into in his driveway at 4.30am on Monday, February the 3rd, with £30 stolen. Mr Hussein said, It's been happening all over Worcester. Taxis are being targeted. They're stealing our dash cams, sat-navs, money and any valuables. It has gone wild. They shattered the car windows. They must be using a hammer or something sharp. Taxi roof signs, sat-navs, dash cams, cash and other valuables have also been reported as stolen. The spate of attacks happened across the city, including Warnden, Northwick, Battenhall and Tolladine. Mohammed Cameron from Ronxwood said his taxi was vandalised overnight on Wednesday, February the 5th, while it was parked on his driveway in Canterbury Road. Mr Cameron, aged 29, added, I think people break into taxis in the hope to steal something valuable. My missus has not been put in a good position. She's now scared after it happened. It can always happen again. The thing I've learnt is to not lock the taxi and to take any valuables out of the vehicle. If the taxi is already open, then hopefully it will deter people from smashing a window. He claims his neighbour's taxi was also vandalised. My neighbour was about to go out on a job at around 5am when he saw the taxi was vandalised and there was glass all over the floor. He then checked my taxi and noticed my window had been smashed. My glove box is completely damaged and broken into two pieces. Paperwork and everything else were left on the floor. Mr Cameron said he has been a taxi driver for four years and has never seen anything like this before. Mohamed Sajed, a member of the Worcester Taxi Drivers Association, added, The police need to find these people. Whenever they see a taxi, they break into it. Something needs to be done. It's causing an inconvenience to drivers who then must fork out hundreds of pounds on repairs. 
I always take my roof sign off when I park because then you can't tell it's a taxi. The first name raid happened on Saturday, February the 1st. Police are investigating the offences and asked any members of the public who maybe have helpful information to get in touch. If you saw anything suspicious or have CCTV footage to show the police, call them on 101 and quote crime reference number 22 slash 11800 slash 20. This is Janet Goodwin with the Worcester News from Monday, February the 10th, and the heading is Mum Beat Tumour with Daughter's Help. A daughter has described her heartbreak when her mum was struck down by a brain tumour and then her relief when she survived the ordeal. Shireen Richmond, 26, from Lower Broadheath, pushed doctors to do more tests after becoming convinced something was seriously wrong with her mum, Cheryl Morris, from Worcester, who had originally been diagnosed with depression. Mrs Richmond said back in late 2018, Mum was struggling to do certain tasks like lifting a jar out of a cupboard. Her doctor put it down to the menopause or depression. I wasn't convinced. I got a call on Saturday, January the 19th last year, from Mum saying she'd collapsed at home. An ambulance took us to Worcestershire Royal Hospital where a stroke was diagnosed. I pushed doctors for a full body scan at Worcestershire Hospital and a doctor told me there was a massive tumour on my mum's brain. I collapsed on the floor when I heard. I had to break the news to her two days later when she regained consciousness. An operation at University Hospital Coventry in Warwickshire, which has a world-leading cancer department, took around 12 hours. Fighting back tears, Mrs Richmond added, Mum's first words to me when she woke up were, I love you. I was so pleased she could remember me. When she went down to theatre, she thought she wouldn't come back. Not all of the tumour could be removed, and there is a possibility Miss Morris could once again become seriously ill. However, Mrs Richmond, who is a mother herself, says she is just grateful her mum survived. My mum has been on one hell of a roller coaster during her recovery, but I'm very happy to say that we are getting there finally. Miss Morris, 52, from St Peter's, had to move in with her daughter for around seven months to recover because she couldn't look after herself. Miss Morris said, After the operation, I had some of my darkest days. I thought about ending it as I thought, Well, I'm going to die anyway. I might as well do it on my own terms. But my grandson, Artie, who is two, would always cheer me up and pull me back from the dark place. Headway, Worcestershire, a charity for people who had suffered a serious brain injury, have really supported me with counselling. I know I'm not the old Cheryl I once was. Mrs Richmond will take on the London Marathon on April 26th to raise money for the charity Brain Research UK which supports people who have suffered a brain injury, as well as research into treatment. She has raised £550 of her 2,000 target so far. I'm so proud of her, Miss Morris said of her daughter's quest to run the marathon and raise money for the charity. My family are my world. To donate towards Mrs Richmond's fundraising total, visit her Just Giving page at https dot to forward slash twice bit l y forward slash two v a q u i s for updates on Mrs Richmond's marathon run see Worcestershire News 
www.co.uk Moira, I've got Tuesday's headline, 84 jobs set to be lost. More than 80 people will lose their job after a business confirmed plans to close its Worcester distribution centre. Staff at Walsley in Wainwright Road near the Shire Business Park were told yesterday that the Plemigan Heating Product Distribution Centre will close this summer, the Worcester News understands. This means the 84 staff there will lose their jobs. A Walsley UK spokesman said... We announced on the 17th of October 2019 the proposed closure of our Worcester distribution centre as part of a wider change to our supply chain network. Following a review and a consultation process, we have concluded we can strengthen our overall UK business by improving efficiencies and maintaining customer service operating out of two UK distribution centres instead of three. Regrettably, this decision will result in approximately 84 roles being made redundant, with the Wainwright Road site expected to remain operational until early summer 2020. Right, this is Paddy reading Wednesday, February the 12th headline, which is Man Denies Raping Girl. A suspected sex attacker has denied raping the same girl four times, once in a Worcester alley next to a primary school when she was just nine years old. Wayne Russell watched from the dock as his accuser recounted the alleged rapes in police video-recorded interviews played to a jury at Worcester Crown Court. The 49-year-old has pleaded not guilty to four counts of rape said by the prosecution to have taken place between January 2010 and January 2016 at various locations in Worcester, including <coughs> in an alleyway between Green Lane and Astwood Cemetery, inside the defendant's Toledine flat and in two city parks. Russell of Lilac Avenue, Tolladine, Worcester, has pleaded not guilty to the rape of a child under 13 between January the 9th, 2010 and January the 18th, 2012. He further denies committing a second rape between January 19th, 2013 and January 18th, 2015, a third rape between January the 9th, 2015 and January 18th, 2016, and a fourth between January 19th, 2015 and January 18th, 2016. The girl would have been under age of 16 throughout the period covered by the indictment. Simon Phillips, prosecuting, opened the case to the jury, telling them the first rape happened in an alleyway between Green Lane and Aswood Cemetery when the girl had gone to buy some cigarettes for her grandmother. Mr Phillips told them the complainant said Russell had pulled down her trousers and underwear before carrying out the alleged rape which she believes took place outside a school and within sight of the school buildings. The complainant said that Russell spoke to her after the alleged attack, telling her that if she told a member of her family what had happened, he would say she touched him first. She said another rape happened in the city's Cripplegate Park, another in Brickfields Park, 
and another of the defendants, Toledine Flat, after she smoked cannabis and drank alcohol. <coughs> Russell attended a voluntary interview on March the 20th, 2018, where he provided a prepared statement. He said the allegations had to be read out to him as I cannot read myself. In the statement, Russell denied raping a complainant at all. In his opening, Mr Phillips said further questions were asked of Russell, but he remained silent. Russell <coughs> submitted a defence statement on September the 5th, 2019, denying that any of the rapes took place or ever going to Brickfields or Cripplegate Parks with the complainant. He also said she has never been to his flat. Yesterday, a video interview with a complainant, recorded on January the 5th, 2018, was played in several parts to the jury of seven women and five men. The complainant, 17 at the time of the interview, did not answer some of the questions put to her by police, but used drawings of the body to point out what she said Russell did to her and on occasion, after a long silence, was asked to write details down. At one stage, officers gave the complainant of a Rubik's Cube in an attempt to calm her. She said the first rape happened down the alley, telling police we had sex, but I didn't want to. The complainant told officers she believed she was nine or ten years old at the time and she remembered looking at the school while the alleged rape was happening, the defendant standing behind her. After the alleged rape, the complainant said, he pushed me on the floor. The jury was told this resulted in her hurting her arm and cutting her leg. She described another alleged rape when she was 14 or 15 years old in the defendant's Toledine flat after she had smoked cannabis and drunk Strongbow. Referring to herself as stoned and tipsy at the time of the alleged rape, the complainant recounted how Russell held her down on her back by the wrists and told her that sex was payment for letting me stay. Asked how it made her feel, she said, terrible. An officer asked her if Russell knew she did not want to have sex with him and she replied yes. At one stage, she told officers, I've tried to block it out. The complainant also told the officers about a further alleged rape in Cripplegate Park when she was 12 or 13 years old. She said another alleged rape happened in Brickfields Park after Russell had bought two bottles of Lambrini. Afterwards, she said she was left alone in the park with a bottle of Lambrini and some tobacco. The alleged victims... Nan was later contacted by police and told her granddaughter had been found drunk in Brickfields Park and was in hospital, and the trial continues. Right, and the last one for today, that's Thursday, February the 13th, restaurant staff fears for wages. Quotes, I gave my all and they haven't paid me a penny, unquote. 
Staff at a restaurant which closed suddenly in Worcester fear they may not be paid for shifts they worked. A former worker at Redleaf World Buffet says the closure saw him lose his job and consequently his home, while another ex-employee claims she was given less than a day's notice that the restaurant would shut down. Two people have come forward to say they are still waiting to be paid for shifts they worked before the closure. Redleaf World Buffet in Fourgate Street took down its signs last week and left a notice in the window saying, Due to unforeseen circumstances, Redleaf World Buffet is closed until further notice. Rajinder Singh, 39, known as Jimmy, says he worked as a chef in the restaurant and lived in the flats above. He says he has been left out of pocket after the restaurant's closure and has been forced to return to Italy. Bizarrely, a spokesman for the restaurant said Mr Singh never worked there, but other ex-employees said he was a chef. Mr Singh said... I worked for them seven days a week for 28 days. I was working 14-hour shifts. I gave my all to the restaurant and they haven't paid me a penny. I went to Citizens Advice and on their advice wrote a letter to the manager who I knew as Neggy. The closure has left me jobless and homeless, so I have been forced to go back to Italy. Luna Verdecchia, 22, says she was employed by Redleaf for four months. She said after the sudden closure of the restaurant, she and her friends were left unable to pay the bills. She said, we were told the night before it shut that we would need to find new jobs. My friends and I were left without work overnight. I am still looking for work and my friends are struggling to stay afloat as they are studying as well. My hours kept being cut for no good reason. I knew something like this would happen eventually, but I didn't expect them to just chuck us out without notice. We have bills to pay. I am still waiting for my final paycheck. I'm scared it won't arrive. She said she had subsequently received a letter saying the restaurant would be closed for three weeks. A statement from Redleaf World Buffet, which also has a restaurant in West Bromwich, said that Jimmy Singh had never worked at the restaurant. The statement said none of the former workers had complained about bad treatment at the restaurant and that all restaurant employees had been paid on a regular basis. The restaurant also said it employed staff on zero-hours contracts, which meant that their hours were flexible. Well, next we have two sports items read by Jules and Paddy. OK, well, this um, sports story is entitled We Must Put It Right, Says Boss. This is a football story from Monday the 10th of February. Manager Scott Rickard said Atherstone Town must put things right after fans threw beer cans and allegedly racially abused Worcester City staff. The 1-1 draw in the last 16 of the FA Vase uh, was marred by ugly scenes throughout the game. After a lit pyrotechnic was thrown onto the pitch in the first half, things became heated when items were thrown at City boss Ashley Vincent and his staff. 
A Worcester News correspondent saw plastic glasses containing alcohol and cans thrown towards the away technical area, with Vincent claiming assistant Marlon Walters had been hit by a lit cigarette butt. Walters later took to Twitter to allege he had been racially abused. Rickard said, I think the fact that they were directed straight at the away dugout wasn't great. The club tried to put on stewards to prevent trouble, which, as far as I'm aware, there was no physical trouble. I know Ashley and Marlon, and I know they're straight at people. They've made allegations of racist comments which the club will be disappointed with. We want to try to portray a good image on the pitch with the way we play and also want to portray a good image for non-league football, which we have done to date. This kind of tarnishes it, which is a shame, but it's something we have to put right and things must be put in place if we are to go through to the next round, that's for sure. Vincent and Walters were visually distressed at the dreadful events unfolded. It got very heated at one point, former Killing Mr Harry's forward Rickards added. He, Vincent, got quite angry with some fans behind, who were clearly quite threatening towards him, and rightly so. He's not going to stand for that. Realistically, I think he passed boiling point, and he lost it a little bit, so it kind of took it all away from the game at that point. I think that stage there was a lot of stop-start. Mm. The cup drags people out. You do get occasional fans who turn up just for these games, and with that you do get drama. The game went to extra time after uh, Marco Adagio's second-half goal cancelled out Josh Ruff's opener. The replay will take place on Wednesday, 7.45pm, and Rickard hope fans will better be, be, be better behaved at Bromsgrove's Victoria grounds, where City are just tenants. Just enjoy the occasion for what it is, he says. Come and watch the game and enjoy it. It's easy when you're at home to attract everybody. The fans that are there on Wednesday will be hardcore ones who will be driving 50 miles to the game, so they want to be there to see us win and the environment will be better. Right, my piece is about rugby union <clears throat> and it's headed Warriors must cut out the ill-discipline. Warriors director of rugby, Alan Solomons, is focused on eradicating Worcester's ill-discipline ahead of their return to Gallagher Premiership action on Saturday uh, uh, against Bath at 3pm at Six Ways. Worcester's players have enjoyed a 10-day break from rugby following 19 consecutive weeks of fixtures since the start of the season back in October. The break enabled Solomons to perform an in-depth review of Warriors' 30-26 home defeat to Wasps in their last outing and discipline stood out as the main issue. It was very disappointing, he said. There are fine margins at this level. We had two opportunities to win the game and then we conceded a penalty to lose that chance. The key factor was the penalties we gave away, especially in the second half. We conceded <coughs> seven in the second 40 minutes six of which had big consequences. The one on the line at the end, and then in the first ten minutes, we gave away two double penalties. One to allow them to kick to our try line, play, then another penalty which they kicked three points from. Then two more back-to-back -back from which they got another kick at goal. We shipped six points in that period. The fifth enabled them to kick to the corner, which they scored from the pick-and-go. Whilst the penalty count against Worcester was only 11 for the entirety of the game, Solomons was left frustrated by the areas of the pitch that they were conceded, 
he said, something else I thought about as we gave away a lot of penalties in the middle and third of the field. Their first try came from a scrum penalty on halfway, which they kicked to the corner and scored from. Another came from offside penalties in and around our 22 as well. We conceded 11 penalties and five came in that area of the pitch. What happens then is you lose field position and that cost us. Two double penalties after half-time made it 13-11 and then it was a different game. Jimmy Gopperth, Wasp player, said to me after the game that the result could have gone either way, which was absolutely right. It's just disappointing that it didn't go for us. Solomon's believes that rugby is all about fine margins and his side must learn the art of losing out games. No, sorry, of closing out games. Yes, discipline's very important, he continued. It's not that we gave away a lot. It's that they all had massive consequences. That's what we said to the players after the break. But another thing we looked at was closing games out. You have to be able to close games out at this level. It's crucial. Thank you, Paddy. Well, we have no birthdays to report this week, sadly. So I'm going to ask Janet to read the thought for the week. The thought for this week is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 25 to 26. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Thank you, Janet. Now, on this day, this is a walk back into history, um, events that happened on February the 13th in various years. So we start with 1542. I die a queen, but I would rather have died the wife of Culpepper. Said to be the last words of Catherine Howard, fifth wife of Henry VIII, before she was beheaded on Tower Green. I suppose her circumstances meant that she had nothing to lose by yeah. saying that. Yeah. On February the 13th, 1692, the Glencoe massacres took place in the Scottish Highlands when the Macdonalds were murdered by their traditional enemies, the Campbells. 1867, Johann Strauss's waltz, The Blue Danube, was first performed at a ball in Vienna. February the 13th, 1945, hundreds of Allied planes bombed Dresden, devastating one of the world's most beautiful cities. And there have been some very interesting articles on television news to commemorate that time this week. 1958, Dame Christabel Pankhurst, British suffragette and daughter of Emmeline Pankhurst, died. 
February the 13th, 1974, Russian writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn was expelled from the Soviet Union. 1987, London's property boom resulted in a 5 foot 6 by 11 foot broom cupboard opposite Harrods being offered for sale at £36,500, more than £600 per square foot. I believe it sold. Yes, it did. And on this day last year, the Duke of Cambridge marked becoming royal patron of a homeless charity by serving lunch to its clients and quipped he was on trial for a job. <laughs> Among the birthdays today are Jerry Springer, talk show host, 76, Peter Gabriel, the singer, 70, and Robbie Williams, pop singer, 46. And now some readers' letters from the week. So I'll ask Jules to start with the first of his choices. OK, we have a letter here from Will Richards from Malvern, and this is entitled Definition of Patriotism. Sir, hot on the heels of the passing of the first stage of achieving our freedom from the EU experiment and looking forward with optimism and pride to once again taking our place on the world stage as an independent trading nation, I had a brief discussion with a remainder. In the course of our discussion, he described himself as a patriot. So my question is, how does anyone who wants our nation and her people to be dictated to by an unelected EU elite, who have already demonstrated their disdain for detractors, supposedly representing the wishes of 28 countries, of which we are only one, consider himself a patriot? Patriotism, having or expressing devotion to and vigorous support for one's country. This is great to see a pub thriving, that's the title. After so many stories recently about pubs closing or landlords quitting because they feel the brewery isn't supporting them, it's great to see a Worcester watering hole thriving and money being spent on a refurbishment. The coach and horses in the tithing closed on Monday for a two-week makeover and the landlords, Louise Andrews and James Lovett, who took over there in November, said the refurbishment was scheduled for April, but the owner, Marston's Brewery, was so pleased with the results produced by the duo, they decided to bring the revamp forward. This is a fantastic example of a brewery backing their landlords. Louise and James have made the coach and horses a success, and so Marston's is spending some money to make the pub that, that bit more welcoming. It's no great secret the pub industry is struggling. These days, pubs are like community centres because they provide one of, if not the only places, for some people to socialise, especially single elderly people who would otherwise feel isolated. We need our pubs to thrive. OK, my letter's from Susan Ford of Worcester. Sir, read the celiac debate. My husband has been diagnosed as gluten intolerant and therefore follows a gluten-free diet. I bake wherever I can, i.e. cakes, cookies, pastries, etc., and we follow a very healthy diet. However, when we go out to eat, some establishments have little or no options for GF. 
but are not asking for a complete GF section, just a little accommodation, such as a GF burger buns, bread, gravy, small things that could be kept aside for GF customers. I would also, it, sorry, it would also help if we were allowed to take our own bread or buns if necessary. GF products are extremely expensive and sometimes very scarce on the shop floor. If Subway can do it by providing GF rolls that are pre-wrapped in cellophane, then why can't others? At the end of the day, we pay a supplement for this which must compensate the provider. This is an opinion from Ellen Amos, who is city and county councillor for Bedredine. So, how utterly depressing it is that your newspaper cannot engage in a serious debate about the dysfunctionality of Worcester City planning. In your response, you print a lead letter from a Mr Davis containing vile, personal abuse and lies, so typical of normally confined to social media. Clearly this is because he is ignorant and has no knowledge or experience of how city planning works. If he does, then perhaps he will enlighten us. I can assure you and him that I will continue to do my duty as a councillor by holding to account any aspect of the council which is not performing in the best interests of its residents. I know directly the deep level of dissatisfaction with this department from so many residents who've had dealings with it, apart from developers, of course, who get everything they want. I will continue to fight for fairness for the residents of Worcester, even though you think that personal abuse is an acceptable response in this struggle. And this is a, a reply to the uh, definition of patriotism letter read a few moments ago by Jules. It's called Confusion Over Meaning and it's from David Barlow of Worcester. The likes of Will Richards' definition of patriotism, February the 11th, are never, it seems, going to get it. As a passionate remainder, I bow to no one in my level of patriotism. I love this country, including Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, and believe that one may, as Mr Richards defines it, express devotion to and vigorous support for one's country, the UK, by arguing for membership of the EU. He talks about being an independent trading nation. But who in their right minds would deliberately abandon the 70-plus advantageous agreements which the UK presently enjoys and start all over again? The words face, nose, spite and cutting off spring to mind. It's pure nonsense to write about being dictated to by unelected elites. Everyone is elected one way or another, and top EU appointments are made democratically by the elected heads of government of EU member states. We also had MAPs in a parliament. I don't recall voting for members of the UK cabinet. If Mr Richards is in a similar position, why does he put up with it? I suspect the key issue here is Mr Richards' apparent confusion of patriotism with English exceptionalist nationalism. This latter takes the view that all other nations, races and religions are inferior. Throughout history, nationalism has never ended well, and this far-right-wing project known as Brexit won't either.
Okay, well, this letter is entitled Enforcing the Right Things, and this is from Phil Juice from the chairman of Worcester Civic Society. Sir, I really thought we were changing for the better when I saw the article about the £60,000 budget for two new enforcement officers. Then I read the article and saw that they were going to be appointed to hand out punishment to anybody cycling through the city centre, feeding goals or aggressively begging. Can I suggest that instead they spend the money employing officers to tackle over the 200 outstanding enforcement notices for breaking conditions on planning applications? There are many that go back well over a year and they have still not been actioned. This would hopefully improve the appalling service we currently get from the enforcement department. This is a letter from David Whitney of Morven. Sir, the continuing crisis at Worcestershire Royal Hospital is a matter of concern to everyone. The constant shortage of room resulting in frequent queues of patients waiting to get into A&E highlights the obvious problem. The hospital is too small. It will never cope at its present size despite the amazing efforts of their truly magnificent staff. Can I suggest one solution? Why not convert County Hall into part of the hospital? The County Council is now much reduced in staff numbers and no longer needs a building of that size, while the premises offer several advantages. Both underground and extensive overground parking, easy access for ambulances and public transport, plus only a short walking distance from the main hospital. A well-informed source tells me that conversion to a hospital would be relatively easy because of the existing basic infrastructure and the cost of conversion could well be around £10 million, which is far less than a new building would cost. The County Council no longer needs extensive premises and could easily be relocated to buildings elsewhere in Worcester. At the moment, this includes the former county buildings in St Mary's Street, Worcester, which is currently to let. This would seem to be a viable and affordable solution to the current problem, which could be activated in a fairly short time. But there's also one of the busiest islands in Worcester that goes into County Hall. Just thought I'd slip that in. Right, my letter then is from C.D. Lee of Worcester. Sir, I may be old-fashioned, but as a customer I do expect service and choices. I understand we need alternative payment methods and that some prefer self-service. In fact, I do use it myself sometimes. It does annoy me, though, when you are forced into self-service through a complete lack of staff tills. Mm. In my experience, this is particularly true during the mornings at our very own Marks and Sparks. Mm. Perhaps unknowingly, they are displeasing a very important older demographic. If we want to try and help the high street, make the consumer feel wanted and important. Will Gardner has sent this letter about safer internet for children. So, Ofcom's research shows the challenge of parents' rising concern over children online and highlights why Safer Internet Day is more important than ever. We must be spurred on to initiate and continue important conversations that allow children to benefit from the empowering and educational opportunities the internet can offer in the formats that suits them. We know talking works. 
Last year, 78% of young people felt more confident about what they do if they were worried about something online as a result of conversations and lessons from the Safer Internet Day. With the internet being so central to our lives, we must ensure that learning how to stay safe online is something we do alongside young people. So many of them are already harnessing the internet for good, though supporting co- through supporting causes and finding their own identity and standing up for what they believe in online. We must follow this example to make the internet a positive place for all. This Safer Internet Day, which is on Tuesday, February the 11th, whoops, we're encouraging all parents and carers to join us in listening to young people's experiences and encouraging conversations about our on-kind, whoops, online lives. Sorry about the date, because it's past. Right, this week. MP's view from Robin Walker debating important legislation in protection of country's people. He says, the first duty of government is to protect people and this week has seen important legislation before Parliament to protect public safety with two new pieces of law. The Helen's Law campaign was launched after the tragic case of Helen McCourt, whose murderer was convicted and sentenced but refused to reveal to the police or her family the whereabouts of her body. It called for courts to be able to take into account such decisions in their sentencing and to be able to withhold parole from people who consciously held back information that could be of comfort to their victims' families. The Terrorist Offenders Restriction of Early Release Bill brought in as emergency legislation following the recent attacks on London Bridge and in Streatham ensures that convicted terrorists should never be subject to automatic early release and that a proper parole board should have to consider the case for when and whether it is safe for them to be released. Along with measures to invest in the police up and down the country to increase recruitment of frontline police officers, these small but important legal changes should keep people safe. This recent extremes of weather have brought some extra challenges to people travelling round the county, with a number of trees blown down and at times icy roads. It's been good to see the county highways teams hard at work getting roads reopened and gritting to keep roadways as safe as possible. Although we haven't seen in Worcester on this occasion the severity of flooding that they have been suffering further north, the bad weather is a reminder that we always need to consider our city's resilience and its flood defences. I have welcomed plans from the government to plant more urban trees and to support councils in maintaining them. More trees help to make Worcester a better place to live, but also help the ground to absorb water and reduce air pollution. I've also welcomed the decision of the Cabinet and the Prime Minister to approve HS2, one of the largest and most keenly awaited investments in infrastructure in decades, but particularly welcome the fact that this has come alongside investment in buses, cycling and rail transport across the country. 
I want to ensure that Worcester benefits from the package of billions which has been announced for new sustainable transport. And in particular, I want to see more local rail services make use of the long-awaited Parkway station and improve the service to Birmingham. Getting HS2 approved is a big victory for West Midlands Metro Mayor Andy Street, but he's right to be calling at the same time for more carriages and a better service on the West Midland railway line between Worcester and Birmingham. Although services have started to improve since the appalling situation in December, he is right to have been pressing for more. And I am glad that the Transport Secretary has supported him by requiring WMT to invest a further £20 million in refunds and improving performance. Right, now we'll move on. Oh, I'm sorry, Paddy. Please go on. A drunk nuisance pensioner wearing one shoe and armed with knives, made a throat-slitting gesture <clears throat> in a Worcester charity shop before threatening to stab a policeman. Lovely man. Patrick Niblett hobbled into Worcester Crown Court using a walking stick after admissing, admitting possession of a lock knife and a public order offence. The diminutive 79-year-old, previously of Barbon Road, Worcester, entered the Age UK shop in the city's Milchiefen Street on September the 20th last year. John Brotherton, prosecuting, said there were about 20 customers when Niblett entered wearing one shoe, unsteady on his feet and with speech slightly slurred. Mr. Brotherton said Nibbling, Niblet was mumbling and told Mr. Rush, who worked in the shop, that he used to box and didn't like gypsies. The prosecutor asked for an uplift in the sentence to reflect this racially aggravated element of the public order offence. He added, he raised his fingers to his throat and moved them from side to side. He made a cutting throat gesture. Niblett pulled out a Swiss army knife from his right pocket and a folding lock knife. The defendant was holding both knives, telling him he did not want to buy a jacket he had been looking at, said Mr Brotherton. Niblett tried to take the jacket off, assisted by a member of staff in the shop. A call was made to the police after Niblett left. He was apprehended nearby, shouting obscenities and waving his walking stick around. An officer took away the defendant's stick to prevent him using it as a weapon. As he was doing that, he said he would take the knife and put it in New Boy while making a gesture to stab him, said Mr Brotherton. Jason Aris for Niblett said his client had been diagnosed with advanced prostate cancer and suffered from deep vein thrombosis and heart issues, asking the judge to suspend any term of imprisonment. Niblett was admitted to Worcestershire Royal Hospital on December the 5th last year and had been in high care before a unit before being transferred to an acute medical ward. 
He'd collapsed on the floor of his temporary accommodation in Droitwich, suffering significant irreparable damage to his liver and a wound to his leg. Mr. Aris told the court Niblett's previous convictions ran over 38 pages beginning in 1962. They included 26 public order offences and seven offences against the person, including a Section 18 grievous bodily harm, for which he served a 42-month prison sentence in 2009. Niblett also has 11 previous weapons offences. Judge Robert Dukes, QC, added, the amount of usance he must have caused over the year doesn't bear thinking about. The judge who described the offences of not just unpleasant but frightening adjourned the case until March the 2nd for preparation of a pre-sentence report. Niblett's only bail condition was to cooperate with the probation in preparation of that purpose. What a lovely man. <laughs> right, my article is from The Crime Files, Worcestershire's Infamous Cases. But I'm reading it because there is some good that's come from it. The heading is Scumbag Avoids Jail Despite Abusing Kitten. One year ago, city residents were left feeling distraught after a man caused fractures and what were believed to be burns to his 12-week-old pet kitten's head. Joe Purvis, who previously attended Heart of Worcestershire College, accepted a charge of causing unnecessary suffering to a protected animal when appearing before Worcester Magistrates Court in February 2019. 25-year-old took his Maine Coon cat named Indico, who he had bought for face £50 on Facebook, to a vet, and it was found to have three fractures to its skull, as well as marks to the top of its head. Purvis, of up to non seven, admitted he had given the kitten a backhander in reaction to it biting him which caused the fractures. He claimed the marks on the cat's head were caused when the kitten hit its head on a tap while he was cleaning it, after it had defecated on himself and him. The solicitor said Purvis claimed the cat came into contact with the tap in a way that it shouldn't have done, after being startled by the water. But the vet did not believe the marks, which they said appeared to be burns that were several days older than Purvis claimed, were consistent with the incident he described and raised the alarm with the RSPCA. The vet also said further clumps of hair came off in their fingertips during the examination. Mrs Pratt said the defendant had taken the kitten to Caldecott and Kingsway Veterinary Clinic in Tewkesbury the previous September. She had such severe injuries to her leg that they had no choice but to amputate it. That November, Purvis then took her again to the vets, was described by staff as smelling overwhelmingly of cannabis. Purvis said to the vets he couldn't cope with such a demanding animal. She was the first and last purse pet he would ever own. The court heard Purvis had been unable to sleep the night of the incident and had toyed with the idea of taking her somewhere to let her go as a stray, but decided to take her to the clinic instead. 
The vets told him Indico needed an X-ray. He said he didn't have any money and did not want the cat before becoming verbally aggressive. When veterinary staff wouldn't agree to take the kitten off him, he told them there was no proof he owned her anyway. In March 2019, Purvis, who his solicitor described as an animal lover, avoided jail. The court had heard Purvis suffered from mental health problems and took medication. He was given bail with the condition he does not have ownership or control of any animals and ordered to pay court costs of £400 and a £115 victim surcharge. At the time, a flurry of angry comments was posted on the Worcester News story where readers voiced their fury towards the scumbag and absolute scumbag. Moby said, what a joke, the mental health card yet again. Another comment was, please jail this low life. How cruel can a person be if person is the appropriate word? Yet another, jail the scum. And another, heartbreaking. Not man enough to pick on someone his own size, so picks on a defenceless animal. Another, what a thoroughly obnoxious, cretinous individual. And someone said if he goes to prison, he'll get more than a cigarette burn on his head, which will hopefully teach him to be kinder. The cat was taken into care by the RSPCA. Mm. Now the present result. The new bill, a new bill has been proposed where convicted animal abusers could face much tougher jail sentences. The introduction of the proposed legislation will mean courts could have the power to sentence someone up to five years instead of six months currently for crimes such as neglect, cruel treatment and dogfighting. This has been backed by the government, which followed a public consultation in 2017, which found 70% of people backed tougher sentences for animal cruelty. Well, this is a story from uh, Tuesday, February the 11th, um, entitled Businesswoman Hails Apprentices. A Worcester businesswoman is encouraging more people to consider apprenticeships during National Apprenticeship Week. Jaya Greenfield, a business analyst for Social Housing and Care Provider Sanctuary Group, originally joined the organisation in the City Branch as an apprentice back in September 2010. Almost a decade later, she is now involved in managing major projects for Sanctuary's Maintenance Division, as well as being a champion for Women Into Construction, an independent organisation promoting gender equality within the construction industry. NAW is an annual event which celebrates the talents and skills of apprentices and promotes the value of apprenticeship programmes. Jay went straight into an apprenticeship after A-levels and said it was a hard decision not to head to university, particularly at a time when apprenticeships were less widely known. She says, choosing an apprenticeship was definitely the right decision for me. It helped me to launch my career, building my confidence and giving me all the skills, training and qualifications I needed to progress. I would definitely encourage others to consider an apprenticeship. Being able to get there and learn while you're on the job is invaluable. Sanctuary's National Apprenticeship Programme offers a variety of programmes from level 2 up to degree level. It was established in 2008 and has since supported almost 2,000 people into work, both directly and through development partners. Apprentices work in a variety of business areas including finance, IT, housing, maintenance, business and administration and health and social care, earning a wage and gaining valuable experience while studying for practical qualifications alongside their day-to-day role. 
Sanctuary apprentices all over the country will be taking part in events to celebrate National Apprenticeship Week, says Jaya. It's great to see these apprenticeships being promoted to a wider audience. There is definitely a greater awareness of apprenticeships and the benefits that they can be bring, brought. I felt I was almost discouraged from taking an apprenticeship while I was at sixth form, but I think they are much more highly regarded now. A man who was given only months to live in 2018 says he is still here and still fighting as he launches his latest fundraiser. Mike Hull has faced a continuous battle since wife Carol found a mole and he was first diagnosed with melanoma back in 2013. Now he wants people to back his latest venture, a charity walking football tournament. Mr Hull said, we went to the doctor and eventually had to have it surgically removed. In 2016, I developed a cough which wouldn't go away, so we went back to the doctor and the scan showed spots on my left lung, part of which had to be removed to deal with it. After visiting the doctor again, it was found that I had a tumour in my spine and five in my liver. In October 2018, he was given just a 15% chance of surviving, but new treatment led to discovering he had only one tumour left, and after treatment, he told us last year, most importantly, it gave us time, and that is all we could hope for. But Mr Hulls said that in the middle of last year, he was given more devastating news when he was told the treatment he had been receiving was no longer working. The 65-year-old said the doctors at Worcestershire Royal said there is nothing more we can do for you. It was gutting to hear that, really, but I kept thinking there must be something they could do. Over the years, Mr Hull has raised thousands for Melanoma UK and the charity's chief executive, Gillian Nuttall, arranged for him to have a second opinion with doctors in London. I travelled down to London and they have now given me trial drugs I take every four weeks, called Rathilamum. The Droitwich resident said, This is my last operation, but at the moment the early signs are looking promising. The walking football tournament, where teams compete to win the Droitwich against Melanoma Trophy, is being held at 11am on May 31st at Droitwich Sports Centre in Briar Mill. All proceeds from the event, which includes a fun day, go to the charity. Mr Hull said anybody who wants to register a team can do so by emailing him at hullmfc at hotmail.com. Three historic city sites that were at risk of being lost forever have been saved, with another six due to have vital repairs. A Grade 2 listed building in Silver Street the site of Worcester's first infirmary in the 1740s, has been fully repaired and is now occupied, and the multi-million pound transformation work at the city's historic Victorian arches means both buildings are no longer at risk. Repairs have also been made to the Grade 2 listed building in the Tithing, home to Ashley's Restaurant, which was described as in poor condition last year. The yearly Worcester Heritage at Risk Register records buildings, scheduled monuments or historic areas that have suffered from neglect, decay or unsympathetic work and need restoration work. 
Two new sites have been added to this year's register, including a Grade 2 listed house in Bath Road in very poor repair and the Gilding House, which is part of the old Royal Porcelain Works, which has been described as in a very bad state. Other planned work means six sites are expected to be removed from the register in the near future. Two empty shops in Angel Street, which are Grade 2 listed and date back to the 18th century, are likely to be removed, as is a Grade 2 listed house in Sanson Place, which dates back to the 19th century. The wall and gates at the Grade 2 listed Pitmaston House, the Grade 2 listed War Memorial in Litchfield Avenue in Ronxwood, the ice factory in Bromyard Road and the former vinegar works in St Martin's Quarter, which dates back to the 1860s, are likely to leave the list as improvement works have been put forward. The at-risk register will be discussed by councillors during a Worcester City Council planning meeting on Thursday, February the 20th. Councillor Chris Mitchell, chairman of the planning committee, said... Worcester is a city with a remarkable history and the evidence of that is all around us in the form of buildings that stretch back to the medieval period. Monuments like the Edgar Tower and the Glover's Needle and even the sites of historic battles. Sadly, not all these heritage sites are in the best repair, but by updating this register each year, we can spotlight the problems and focus the minds of landowners on initiatives and actions that can bring about improvements. Work is due to start on the hated crossing. Agony on one of the city's most hated zebra crossings, which has been causing long traffic queues for years, looks finally set to end. Worcestershire County Council has said work will start later this month to install a pedestrian crossing with traffic lights in Pheasant Street near Asda in Worcester, replacing the current zebra crossing. Work will start on Monday, February the 24th and is expected to last for four weeks, with most of the work will take place overnight between 9pm and 5.30am on weekdays. The work is part of the council's plan to relieve congestion and follows on from the work in Sidbury and Croft Road. Councillor Anna Amos, Cabinet Member for Highways, said work to install a signalled crossing near the city's ASDA was one of the most demanded requests by residents. He said, I'm delighted that this work, which is what our residents have asked for, will start before the end of the month as the positive impact it will have on congestion in the area will be huge. The plans to change the current zebra crossing into a controlled crossing will improve traffic flow and be safer for pedestrians to cross. During the work, Pheasant Street will be closed to vehicles in both directions between the St Paul's, Martins Gate, George Street roundabout and the St Martin's Quarter car park roundabout. A diversion will be in place via Shrub Hill Road. The St Martin's Quarter car park will be open during the overnight closures in line with usual opening hours and pedestrians will be able to cross or walk along Pheasant Street during the night works. During the day, Pheasant Street will be open to vehicles and pedestrians as usual.
the current crossing will be temporarily moved closer to St Martin's Quarter Car Park roundabout. This article mm -hmm. is headed Girl Saved Man's Life. Mm -hmm. A proud mother has revealed how her daughter tried to stop a man from jumping into the river in Worcester. Mm -hmm. Bex Evans said her daughter Kim Evans tried to stop the man who was eventually pulled from the water and taken to hospital on Wednesday. She posted on Facebook, Well, tonight I had a call from my daughter at 1am. She was driving home from a band night and on her way over the main river bridge. She saw a man stripping down to his boxer shorts, getting ready to jump. She immediately called the police, but had to stop him going over. He was a large man, the police said about six foot four, and 20 stone. So he, she struggled, but managed to get him back. With the police now on the way, he decided to go down towards Browns, where she followed. Again, she had to stop him going over the railings. She was holding him round his waist and begging him in tears not to do it. She held him for as long as she could, but couldn't stop him. He rolled over the bars and went in. She was distraught. It's so cold tonight, so the water must have been freezing. She said she'd never seen someone carried off so quickly by the current. The police arrived and ran and caught up alongside the man on the bank, throwing rings as he travelled down past the weir to the Lower Wick Bridge. The police managed to drag him out. He went to hospital, thank God. She said he was in such a bad way mentally, but I truly believe my daughter saved a life tonight. If she hadn't had seen him and called police straight away, held him and kept him out of the water as long as she did, it would have been too late by the time the police or boats got there. I am so very proud of her tonight. Police confirmed they had been called to the river near Worcester Bridge following concerns for a man's welfare. They pulled the man out of the water and he was then taken to hospital. A police spokesman said, Shortly before 12.25, officers attended Worcester Bridge following concerns for the welfare of a man. He fell into the water and after being recovered from the river was taken to hospital. Comments congratulating Kim on her quick actions and bravery have been posted on Facebook. Laurie Griffin said, Incredible, you're a hero, Kim. The man who has not been identified is expected to make a full recovery, police said. Well, this is a story from Friday, February the 7th, and is entitled, Isolated Teacher Stays. A teacher isolated in China amid coronavirus fears says he will not be taking official advice to return to Britain. Bob Allison, a former teacher at the Chantry School, is alone at the school he teaches as in China after pupils were told not to return from their holidays. He said, If you are wondering why I'm still here, I do plan to return to the UK, but not at this present moment. After consulting with my family, we feel I am safe within Yangzhou. The reasoning for staying is that I am in complete isolation and have friends who are looking out for me. They will ensure that I do not run short of food. Whereas if I were to travel, 
I would, I would be putting myself at an unnecessary risk of catching the virus. I would need to travel across the country to Beijing and then across the city to the airport. Then there is the problem of flying with other people from different areas of China. Finally, I am completely unaware of any quarantine provision once I reach Britain. Making decisions is always difficult, but the, thing, the way things are, I believe I am making the right choice. If there is a considerable change in circumstances, then I would consider coming home. Mr. Allison has had an outpouring of love and support from former pupils for his, and I reached out to him via email. He said, thanks for all the messages I've received over the last two days. They have been a great comfort to me and have kept me busy. There are many other people that are in a worse situation than the one I find myself in. I am comfortable in my little flask and will not go hungry. Best wishes to everyone in Worcestershire and please do not worry about me. Plans to build a new 80-bed care home on the edge of the city have been revealed. Northwick Developments Limited has put forward a plan to build a two-storey £9 million care home off Northwick Road in Northwick, near Worcester. The care home would bring 48 new jobs, according to a statement included with the application. A total of 39 car parking spaces would also be built. The care home would be accessed from Northwick Road, with paths for pedestrians built to the southeast and northeast of the land. The land lies outside the development boundaries stated within the current South Worcestershire Development Plan, SWDP, but has been put forward for potential development as part of the ongoing SWDP review. The proposed care home would be built near to land on Old Northwick Farm, earmarked for 62 affordable homes as part of a controversial planning application, currently in the midst of an appeal with the government's planning inspectorate. Worcester City Council's planning committee rejected the plan over fears the site would flood and because of a lack of public transport serving the homes. Whilst the plan by social housing provider Stonewater to build the homes was put forward to planners at Worcester City Council, the decision on whether the care home would be built or not would be left to Witchhaven District Council. A statement included with the application said the council's own assessment of housing need, housing need showed that a care home was required in the area. It said, this evidence is based upon demographic changes whereby there is generally an ageing population and the proportion of older people in this area is higher than average. The plans can be viewed via the planning section of Witchhaven District Council's website. Consultation ends on March the 12th. The application number is 20-00234-OUT. The future of a school sixth form has been left in doubt after the school said it was struggling to run it with low pupil numbers. Governors at Dyson Perrin's Church of England Academy have launched a consultation on the future of its post-16 provision. The move could mean no sixth former will start at the Morven School this September. In a letter to parents, head teacher Mike Gunston said, you may be aware that numbers in our sixth form are low and reducing for a number of years. A small sixth form poses a significant challenge to retain the breadth of courses that our students wish to study. There are a number of strong post-16 providers locally, so we are confident that our students will be able to access the courses they wish to study. 
Our current provision costs significantly more to run than the income we receive from the Education and Skills Funding Agency. We believe it is only right to ensure the funding we receive for students in years 7 to 11 is spent directly on continuing to improve our provision to the benefit of all students in these years groups. Students in year 12 and year 13 will continue as planned. The letter also said students in their final year who have applied to join the sixth form at the Yates Hay Road School this September will be supported to make applications to other local centres. Speaking to the Worcester News, Mr Gunston stressed it was just a consultation process at the moment. Councillor Samantha Charles said, Parents received this letter informing them that their children who were planning to stay on to do A-levels and BTEC courses this year now have a huge amount of stress and uncertainty ahead. The consultation period will close at 9am on Monday, March 23rd. Now here's some good news for people who like to talk. <clears throat> Benches designed to encourage people to chat have been introduced in Worcester. Happy to chat plaques have been installed on two benches in St John's in a bid to combat social isolation. And Councillor Richard Oodle says that if it proves successful, he will see if it can be rolled out across the city. The plaques on benches in St Clement's Close carry the message, sit here if you don't mind somebody stopping to say hello. Councillor Udall, who represents St John's Ward on the City Council, said the police introduced them in Burnham-on-Sea and they have been very successful there. They are now there, so anyone who wants to sit there, he gives them an opportunity to have a chat with someone. Sadly, there are a lot of lonely people, particularly elderly people, and schemes like this help to combat social isolation. Councillor Richard Oodle has agreed to use money from his divisional funds to buy the signs and hopes the idea will now gain momentum. He added, if it does take off <coughs> and if we can get Worcester City Council on board, he hopes it can be introduced in areas such as around the River Severn. Councillor Oodle tweeted a picture of the benches adding, thanks to a florist, no, sorry, Fortis Living for agreeing to my request for Happy to Chat Benches, bringing people together to talk. After the initial success of the scheme in the UK, the idea has spread globally, with benches popping up in Canada, the United States, Australia, Switzerland and Ukraine. Last year, an Age UK survey found that more than a million older people say they always or often feel lonely. And experts say the chronic loneliness can impact on memory, mental and physical health, and is a major contributing factor to the financial exploitation of the elderly, with scammers befriending the elderly people before conning them out of money. <coughs> And the final paragraph, it says, Do you have a story for the Worcester News? Call Sam Greenway or email news at worcesternews.co.uk. There you go. And this article is headed School Nominated. 
a secondary school has been nominated for a Worcestershire Education Award. Bishop Perrone's CE College has been nominated for Secondary School of the Year. Richard Eaton, who nominated the school where he has two children, in Merriman's Hill Road, Worcester, said, I have always been impressed by the professional manner of all the staff here. Any issues are dealt with sensitively, professionally and promptly. My two are very happy here, and both are thriving socially, academically and personally. Mr Eaton added, the senior leadership team and the individual subject teachers at this school are fully committed to every individual pupil, regardless of their academic ability. Every student is regarded as an individual, is encouraged to be the best they can. Discipline and behaviour at the school is excellent, with many pupils taking great pride in being a member of the school. Pupils are regularly recognised for good academic, sporting or social achievement, with various award ceremonies over the school year. Head teacher Mark Pollard said, It's lovely to know that we have been nominated again, and for the second year in a row by a parent. All the staff at Bishop Perone, I know, are completely dedicated to going the extra mile for students and working hard to support, inspire and care for the young people we work with. It's very much a joint effort from everyone. Securing the rapid improvement in recent years has required us to pull together as a team to create an environment where students can flourish and excel academically. There are 13 categories in this year's Education Awards which are organised by the Worcester News in partnership with the University of Worcester. Finalists will be invited to a ceremony at the University Arena on June the 25th, where winners will be announced. Well, this is a story entitled Match Day to Raise Money for Hospice from Saturday, February the 8th. Rugby fans can enjoy VIP treatment when Worcester Warriors and Acorn Children's Hospice host their annual charity Match Day this month. Acorns and Warriors have teamed up to help fund the the charity's work caring for life-limited children. The fundraiser, which is taking place on Saturday, February the 15th, will see Warriors face off against Bath Rugby at Six-Way Stadium in the Gallagher Premiership. Ticket holders will also be able to enjoy a Q&A with Warriors legends, a meal and the chance to win some prizes in the comfort of the Acorns Charity Lounge. Amy Deakin, Partnership Fundraising Manager at Acorns, said... This is the ultimate rugby experience. You'll get to see two of the region's best clubs go head-to-head and enjoy the atmosphere of the North Stand as well as dine in style at our charity lounge, all while raising money for a fantastic cause. We have such an incredible partnership with Warriors and we're so grateful to the club and supporters who get behind us time and time again, especially as we rely on the local community to raise the majority of funds we need to continue our work caring for children and families. Warriors Managing Director Peter Kelly said, Acorns does incredible work in helping children across the region and as a club we are extremely proud to support the charity with a fundraiser when we welcome Bath to Six Ways next month. We are really looking forward to the charity match day and I'm sure everyone will be right behind us in this great organisation to help make a big difference. A limited number of charity lounge tickets, which include a one-course meal and exclusive access to the lounge, are priced at £35 for adults, 
£25 for children under 15 and £20 for season ticket holders. Standing tickets are also available priced at £20 for adults and £15 for children. To book your matchday tickets, visit www.acorns.org.uk forward slash warriors hyphen matchday or call 01684 825 023 or email events at Thanks, Jules. Well, now we're coming towards the end of this evening's recording. I know we didn't have any birthdays to report tonight, but do let us know your birthdays so we can greet you specially when the time comes. Just a final reminder that this service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone, Worcester 767766, or add a note to your wallet. And we ask listeners that if there's any problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. Well, now all that remains is for me to thank Paddy, Janet, Jules and Moira, our engineer Duncan, for reading and recording. And we do hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll come back for more next week. So it's best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all of the team. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. And now the obituaries. Michael Hughes, Mike, passed away peacefully on January the 31st, 2020, aged 85 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, February the 20th at 9.15am. Family flowers only, please. Theresa Mary Johnson, Terry, passed away peacefully at home on February the 1st, 2020, aged 75 years. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, February the 19th at 1.45pm. Family flowers only, please. Anthony Frederick Leighton, Tony, passed away peacefully February the 5th, 2020, aged 74. His funeral will take place March the 5th at 2 o'clock at Hallow Church. Family flowers only. Frances Elizabeth O'Neill, née Wood, passed away on January the 26th, 2020, aged 82 years. Funeral service at St George's Catholic Church on Thursday, February the 20th at 12 noon, followed by interment at Astwood Cemetery. Margaret Seidel of Shap Drive, Warnden. Sadly passed away on February the 1st, 2020, aged 81 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, February the 21st at 2.30pm. Please feel free to wear an item of bright clothing in memory of Margaret. Family flowers only, please. Christine Atkinson, Nee Flynn passed away peacefully in the care of St Stephen's Care Home on January the 17th, 2020, aged 82 years. 
Requiem Mass will take place at St George's Roman Catholic Church on Monday, February the 17th at 12 noon, followed by committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. Teresa Williams, Mary. At Wishmore Care Home on Thursday, February the 6th, 2020, aged 92 years. Funeral service at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, on Wednesday, February the 26th at 2pm. Family flowers only. Rita Barnett passed away peacefully on January the 19th, 2020, aged 87 years. The funeral will take place at Redditch Crematorium on Thursday, February the 20th at 3.30. Michael Lanny of Worcester passed away peacefully on January the 25th, 2020, aged 87. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, February the 20th at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please. Edith Ord, or Anne, sadly but peacefully passed away in her sleep on Sunday, February the 2nd, aged 93 years. Private family funeral to be arranged. Wilhelmina Osborne passed away peacefully on January the 22nd, 2020, aged 89 years. The funeral service has already taken place. Albert John Stock, formerly of Walnut Avenue, passed away peacefully on January the 18th, 2020, aged 20, 71 years. His funeral has always already taken place. Sheila Blackwell, Noveria, passed away peacefully at Haresbrook Care Home, Tembury Wells, on February the 4th, aged 85 years. Funeral service to take place at 3.15pm on Thursday, February the 27th at Worcester Crematorium. William Edward Wadoops of Abbotswood, formerly of Cleebury Mortimer, died suddenly on January the 28th at the Worcester Royal Hospital, aged 84 years. Funeral service at St Peter's Church, Purton, on Thursday, February the 20th at 11am. Family flowers only, please. Christopher Ralph Bridge, age 72, passed away peacefully on the 1st of February 2020 with no funeral directions, uh, sorry, de details given. Anthony William Churchill, or Tony, sadly passed away on January the 28th, 2020, aged 64 years. Service to take place at the Mission Free Church, Bromyard Road, on Tuesday, February the 18th at 12 noon, followed by burial at St John's Cemetery for family members only, and only flowers from the family, please. Shirley Croucher passed away peacefully at home, aged 80 years. The funeral will take place at Worcester Crematorium on February the 24th at 2.30pm. Wear something pink. Family flowers only, please. And then Jean Griffiths passed away peacefully at Norton Hall Care Home on Thursday, January the 30th, 2020, aged 95 years. A funeral service shall take place on Tuesday, February the 25th, 2020 at Worcester Crematorium at 12.15pm, family flowers only. Mm -hmm. 